0: You're listening to episode 20 of Rainbow Baby, a podcast documenting a journey of pregnancy after loss. I'm your host, Taylor Bates. In May 2018, my first child, Ellis, was stillborn at 31 weeks for unknown reasons. In the depths of unimaginable grief, my husband, Hunter, and I knew we wanted to try again. Since then, we've experienced new pregnancies and more loss. We're still hoping for our Rainbow Baby which is a baby born subsequent to a miscarriage, stillbirth, TFMR, or the death of an infant from natural causes. I want to share my story with you because life after pregnancy loss can be so isolating. You'll also hear conversations with others who've walked this path before me. This is a very special episode featuring my conversation with Alyssa Christensen, whose baby Anna was stillborn two years ago today, May 20th, 2018 the same day as my baby Ellis. She's the only other lost mom I've met whose baby shares that birthday. It's also the 20th episode of this podcast, airing on Ellis and Anna's second birthdays, May 20th, 2020. I just love all the synchronicity. And on that note, I have a special request. If you have found this podcast meaningful, I'd love it if you'd please take a few minutes to rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I've created this podcast to form community around pregnancy loss and hope, and also as a legacy for Ellis's life, and ratings and reviews help it to reach more people. It would mean so much to me if we could get 20 reviews for the 20th episode on his second birthday, May 20th, 2020. Okay, so back to the episode. Alyssa and I originally connected through Instagram after our babies were stillborn on the same day. She experienced a placental abruption that resulted in Anna's stillbirth and almost took Alyssa's life as well. Since then, I've watched her story continue to unfold as she became pregnant and gave birth to her fourth baby, Quinn, though not without difficulty. She experienced preterm labor that eventually landed her in the hospital for several weeks and was followed by a month-long NICU stay after Quinn was born. Alyssa talks about dealing with compounded grief after experiencing the loss of her sister, shortly followed by Anna's stillbirth. She shares how she was able to cope with grief by creating a successful blood drive as a legacy for Anna, and also by crocheting hats in honor of Anna and other lost babies for her small business, A Missing Stitch. She shares what it was like to give birth to Quinn with the same doctor and hospital, and how loss has affected her two years later. Our conversation ended up lasting several hours because we just had so much to talk about with each other. I did my best to cut it down for this episode, but we'll be releasing a bonus episode soon with some extra content about stillbirth that I think is really important. I hope this conversation resonates with you as much as it did for us. Here's the episode. So thank you so much, Alyssa, for coming on this podcast and, um, I know that we have a lot in common with our stories, but then you also have so many unique things about your stories. So I feel like we could just talk, um, for hours, but I'm really grateful that you are willing to, um, be vulnerable and share your story with all of us. Um, because I know that it's scary and kind of nerve wracking sometimes for people to share, but I know it's going to help so many other parents who, um, might be new on this on this journey, fresh along, or or further along. You know, wherever you are, um, I know that this is going to be helpful to a lot of people out there. So, um, one thing that's really special about our relationship, and this is actually the first time that you and I've talked in person, but I feel like I already know you. We both share the date of May twentieth, twenty eighteen, in common. That is when both of our babies, Ellis and Anna, were stillborn. Um, and we actually didn't figure that out until a year ago on May 20th, 2019, when we were chatting and checking in on each other. And, um, Alyssa had just May 20, May 18 on her Instagram handle. And so I was thinking that her date was the 18th, but we figured out, we both shared the 20th actually. So, um, she's the only other lost mom that I know that we have that in common and, um, One thing that is interesting, I was going back and looking at your Instagram posts and blog posts, and um, I saw something where you had written that Anna was one of 68 babies stillborn on May 20th, 2018, in the United States. And that just, like – it gives me chills even just saying it right now because I'm like, Ellis was one of those babies too. And, like, who are those other 66 mamas, you know? Yeah,
1: like I – I remember writing that post and thinking like, I wish I knew who else these people were because you get connected to certain people through the internet or whatever, but that statistic is so big. And I remember reading, I think I posted it because I had read somewhere about the statistic and to give a visual, they said, It's like an entire school bus of children Hmm. being lost in one day. And it's such a profound, like, chilling view of how great that number is. Like, if we saw a school bus of children go missing every day, people would be shocked about it. And there'd be, I feel like, more of a push to, like put research into it and everything, I feel like stillbirth is such a uh, misunderstood and just like nobody really wants to talk about it. So no research gets done and nothing's changing over the decades. But with like a visual like that, it's such um, I feel like it's a push to get people to understand how common it is. Cause I had never heard of anyone having a stillbirth before me and then all of a sudden you're thrust into this world and it's like, like everyone all of a sudden has gone through something like lost a child in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, (laughs) it's funny when you bring up these posts because I remember writing them, and I totally have forgotten about it until you just said it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I have another one. Okay. (laughs) Um, And this one you wrote a year ago on May 20th, which um, we're actually recording this episode. It is um, May 14th, but we plan to air it on May 20th. 2020, May 20th, 2020. I just think there's something special about all those connections and numbers and the fact I'm that we share I'm such a that. person about connections <laughs> yeah. too. Yes. I read into everything. <laughs> yes. Um, so last year on that day, you wrote a blog post um, called Dear Future Me. And if you don't mind, I'll just read like the first couple of lines.
1: Oh, yes. So I didn't write it on May 20th. Okay. I actually wrote it I should go and pull up when that date was. I wrote it in the very early days of loss, probably Mm -hmm. like within the first month. And then I edited it to post on her birthday so that I knew I would forget about all the details that I put into that post. And it was a way for me to kind of feel like there was something to look forward to on her birthday because I knew it was going to be a really hard day. And I wanted there to be this really special connection I felt with her. And so I wrote it like, yeah, like a whole year in advance.
0: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Um, So at the beginning of the post, you say, I am told time will soften even these feelings that once again, I will find joy in these days. The smiles will come easier. I won't find the seconds drag for years, adding decades to the pain on my face. I am told these things and I know these things because I've walked grief before. I know you will get there. It's just too far away to see. Dear Alyssa of the future. I hope in a year there are moments of peace that you can talk about Anna without your voice cracking, letting the tears being held back flow freely. <laughs> so, so now that it's almost been two years, how did, you, what's your response to that? Um,
1: well, now I want to go read the whole post again. <laughs> yeah. It's been another whole year.
0: Yeah. It's I'll so... be sure to share it in the show notes too so that people can read it.
1: Um, it's so crazy to feel like that's a, a different person writing it. Um, I remember feeling so angry because I had just felt like I had like graduated in grief and um, We had lost my sister to an overdose in March, 2017. Um, And then she survived the overdose, but with a traumatic brain injury that she will never recover from. So her life is completely different and very diminished. She doesn't resemble my sister in any way. And there's no, our relationship has just disappeared. Like there's no calling her anymore. All the things I had with a sister and it was just her and I growing up. So we were very close. Um, so that grief was really rocky and I had gotten pregnant with Anna, um, in the fall of 2017. So I was only like seven months into grieving my sister. And so Mm -hmm. By the time like my sister's one year mark rolled around, I thought like, okay, I have learned a lot from grief. I have like those like lessons that people tell you that they get out of traumatic like <laughs> life events. Um, I felt like I had learned them all and I was learning to grow with grief and accepting what had happened and that life isn't in our control. And so I felt like I had, I had become a different person. And I know there's a quote somewhere out there that says, um, there's like a, the timeline is before and after one of these traumatic life events. And so I thought, okay, well, there was that one version of me in the before, and I really miss her, but I've grown into this after version and I have fought my way to the year mark I'm proud of where I've come. I'm like, I've changed a lot of things in my life to be a better person and love more and forgive easier and all those things. And to me, that quote was like, there's a a before and an after. And I was in the after already. And I had earned that spot. And when Anna died, it put down a second marker. And then my after became my before again. And Mm. so I was really angry that now I had two versions of me that I couldn't connect with anymore. And I was stuck in the after again. And I knew how long I had fought and worked through those feelings with my sister's grief. And Anna's was like tenfold because it's your child. And I was just so lost. Like, I think I was angry at myself that... I had figured out grief, and I had known all these things, and I had learned so much and then all of that knowledge was just useless instantly because it was a different grief, and I was in a different after and so, oh my gosh, I feel like I don't even remember your original question i've just I've gone on this long spiel I just and that's how far I feel like away from the person that i I was, so reading those. Or hearing those words, it's it's a different version of me, and I've mm-hmm. been so many different versions of myself in such a a short time frame. Um, and it's it's weird, like it's weird to have lived so many lifetimes in like a three year span.
0: Yeah. So, what would you say to someone to a lost mom who? um, has, has recently experienced the death of their baby. And, you know, now both of us are two years away from that experience. Um, how do you feel differently in your grief? I know this, like you said, it's kind of a double after, um, but in this version of the after, um, how, how have you, how are you different even than a year ago on this, on this anniversary date?
1: I think, It's like how I wrote there that like every second feels like years. I remember time just going really slow in the beginning. I lost track of time so easily, like had no concept of it. It would be either shorter than I imagined or way longer than I had thought it had been. And so I feel like two years out, I couldn't even imagine it at that point. And now that I'm here, it's gone by so fast. But like I said, there's been like so many versions of me that um, it, it doesn't, I don't feel like it ever gets better. And I, I was able to tell a lot of friends, like lost moms that I met through Anna because I knew Kimmy's grief, like it doesn't get better. It just gets different. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't say I like accept Anna's death any more than I did two years ago, but I am, I am able to talk about her without crying. There's no crack in my voice. I talk about her every chance I get, probably too often, and I'll put people in totally uncomfortable (laughs) There's not too often. (laughs) There isn't too often for me. Yeah but for other people, like they'll be like a stranger and they'll ask something and it's never even like a hesitation anymore. Whereas I think in the early days, Mm. I was afraid to hurt other people by telling them my story. When in reality, it hurt me a lot more to keep that from them. Like I was, I was, ashamed of her story in some Mm -hmm. way and it felt like a really big disservice to her life by saying like like when people ask you the common like oh how many kids do you have and I would just quickly be like oh two because Mm -hmm. I didn't want to I didn't want to make them feel uncomfortable in that five minute conversation and instead nowadays I'm like oh well let me tell you like (laughs) I have three here and then I also have a daughter who passed away and I just like say it as fast as I can so that they can't interrupt me and cut me off with it I'm like no you're gonna hear everything (laughs) (laughs) and and as shocked as like I didn't do it at the beginning because I thought that people would react in a like shocked way and like that I had ruined their day when like it's not their day that's getting ruined. Um, I often found that um, when I did share, it opened up so many conversations I didn't expect. And we were talking earlier about how so many people have dealt with child loss in some ways that usually, and not every time, but a lot of the time when I shared about Anna, I would get a response of, Oh my sister lost her baby or I lost a baby 10 years ago or whatever. And so it it allowed like a lot more compassion into my life because I was able to see that everyone was sort of in in this weird grieving world at some point of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I recently had um the honor of having our story shared in San Antonio magazine and it has made my life so much easier because now kind of all of those fringe people who are in my life, like neighbors and acquaintances who haven't necessarily heard, aren't, aren't necessarily close enough to me to hear Ellis's story. Now they know. And so now that I'm pregnant again and I'm just starting to show I am getting those questions from mostly strangers at this point of like, Oh, is this your first baby? And I have to tell that story, but I've noticed like with neighbors, they've, they've seen the article. And so several have, several have come up to me and said a similar thing of like, you know, it meant so much to see your story. And, you know, 15 years ago, my daughter lost a baby in the same way. And I, I'm so glad that you're sharing because we didn't share about it back then. Um, so you're right. There is this, like, I mean, it's, we all talk about it, like the secret club that no one wants to be a part of, but it's like so supportive and wonderful when you have to be in it.
1: Yeah. Like Um, you're so sad that it exists, but you're so grateful that it exists at the same time. Um, I was in the hospital, I think like it had only maybe been 24 hours and, I got on Instagram and we had just shared our announcement post of we've had her, but she's not here. And this girl reached out to me and she lives in the UK and and she wrote me this really nice message. And she had lost her son to SIDS, I think like two years before. Mm. And so she wrote me this message saying, like, keep sharing. Instagram is going to save your life. And I was like, you're a crazy person. (laughs) Like who messages a stranger and says that Instagram is going to be the the place where you find that. And she was so right because like my neighbors, none of them have had a stillbirth. And so that community is very small, but once you opened it up and were willing to talk about it, it was just a vast like ocean of friendships that Like I have like almost somebody in like every country that I know now that has dealt with it and we've all connected. And it's this really beautiful friendship of lost moms.
0: Yeah. You and I would never have encountered each other most likely if not for Instagram.
1: Yeah. And so you would have just been one of those to me faceless other 68 mothers of May 20th, 2018. And so getting to be able to share that is just such a a special thing that didn't exist for those moms decades ago. And I feel so sad for them because usually on my blog post, there's a comment of, I lost my child like decades ago. And they were never allowed to talk about it. A lot of them didn't name their babies. It was like this shameful thing that they just had to like tuck inside their heart and never talk about again. And I can't imagine how painful that would be because talking about Anna has been just an immense therapy for me.
0: Yeah, I agree. And yeah, again, talking is what, uh, it's Brene Brown, I think, who says that vulnerability um, creates connection. And so by both of us being vulnerable, which is really scary and it's been hard to sustain at, at times, um, that is ultimately what has brought us together right now mm-hmm. um, and is connecting us with all of these listeners um, And all the other women in our lives who, you know, I interviewed Shannon Pike a couple episodes ago and she and I, same thing, met through Instagram and then we ended up meeting up in real life because we live only an hour away from each other. And um, her baby Marie was born, I think, the 30th of May, Mm -hmm. so about 10 10 days days after us. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it just feels like we have this little tribe. It's so special.
1: That is special. She's like one of the ones that I connected with first. And I also got to meet up with her in real life. And it was such a, you just have such a deep connection with other lost moms because you understand them on a level that most people can't. Yeah. And so I remember her being like, I'm going to be in Vegas for a work trip. And she was a completely internet stranger I got in my car and was like what hotel are you at I'll walk down this hallway and I will totally come to your hotel room yeah which is so against (laughs) every logical (laughs) but it was oh it was the best night just to sit and be in the presence of somebody that knew like your soul in that way
0: yeah
1: yeah it's so special getting to meet other lost moms like that We always talked about building a compound and just moving in. And maybe you need that for like the first year of just like shut out the world and only be around people that get you.
0: Right. Yes. And you and Shannon were both pregnant again this time last Mm -hmm. year. Um, So that leads me into my next question for you, which is um, what is your definition of a rainbow baby? Because I know everyone has their own personal um perspective on that term. Yes, it's such a
1: I really deeply loved the term before I lost Anna. I thought it was a really beautiful poetic way to talk about babies after loss, and in that version of me, loss was always a miscarriage, and so right. it was a way to just sort of be like, "Oh wow, that's It's such a terrible experience. And it's such a beautiful thing that they do get the chance to raise another baby. Um, When I lost Anna, I felt like there was a misconception with a lot of people that were just on like that outer edge of my life where they heard about Anna and then they were shocked that we had had a C-section that I had pictures holding her and they're like, Oh, she's, she's a full grown baby. And I was like, well, yes. Like she is, she's full term. What did you think happened here? Um, And so it started to irritate me when people would talk about a rainbow baby. Like they would just, it was always after she had passed and people would want to wrap me up in But you'll get your rainbow baby. And so the term started to just be like nails on a chalkboard for me. Um, And I I had never dealt with loss before, other than my sister's loss, which is a really messy situation where I've lost all my relationship with her and anything I had physical is still somewhat there like she is physically here in this world but she can't care for herself she lives in a full-time care facility so I when I got pregnant with Anna it was only seven months after and I was really deep in grief when I got pregnant and so for my entire family we sort of wrapped Anna in this light of She's like this sunshine in this storm. I didn't want to call her a rainbow baby because she wasn't coming after a personal loss from me. So I called her my sunshine baby. My parents were so excited for her to be here. It was just like this light at the end of the tunnel. She's going to get here and she's going to make it just better. My mom actually wrote like a letter to Anna and she left it on the nursery dresser and I didn't I wasn't aware that she had done it so I didn't see it until after she had died
0: mm. and
1: and in it it is just so heartbreaking because you see that it wasn't just me needing her to like heal our family in a positive way my mom just wrote this beautiful letter and it said all you need to all you need to do for our family is be here and then she died so it was so heavy and i thought i can't even imagine putting this on another baby that they need to be this light and this hopeful feeling because they could also die and i can't i can't put that in the 9 months As an end game of, okay, well, at least at the end of this, everything will be better because they'll be here. Um, So I never really called Quinn anything. And I don't, people will call her a rainbow baby a lot. And our pediatrician, like, gave us a beautiful rainbow gift. And it's really touching that people want to do those things because they do... um, appreciate that there has been a loss and they want to acknowledge that loss while they're doing something for your new baby. It's just something that I personally struggled with because of all the circumstances that led up to Quinn.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so glad you shared that perspective because, um, for me having a miscarriage after Ellis was stillborn kind of was a similar experience right i i was i was only pregnant with that baby for 10 weeks and in that time was already attached this is so long yeah it is um but compared to you know carrying a baby for 32 weeks it feels short mm-hmm. and i was already thinking this is my rainbow baby and and then it didn't happen so that was my i had a, a sort of similar experience with that term of just realizing that i can't put everything on this next baby. And um, that there, ultimately, that's kind of the connection with Ellis is that, you know, on the day that he was born, May 20th, there was a rainbow in the sky. And so in one sense, the term rainbow baby is kind of has dual meaning for me because Mm -hmm. I see him as my rainbow baby, obviously not in the literal sense of the meaning of the word, but just that he brings me rainbows. Mm-hmm. And in that, you know, seeing those rainbows continuously after his um death has has helped me to feel hope and not necessarily for another baby, but just hope that I can go on, you know. Um
1: I love that um I'm such a person about quotes. <laughs> I'm realizing as I'm like, oh and I have this other quote. <laughs> Um, one that held really deeply with me was, um, it's a quote that says, hope is the thing with feathers. And then it goes on and on for the rest of the poem. Um, but for us, instead of rainbows, we feel like Anna brings us feathers. And so I, I, I understand like the, the want to have a description, like a rainbow baby, because for me, like. And like for you, like those symbols are so strong for us. And so like anytime I find, I found a feather while I was pregnant with Quinn, it was like a a symbol of like, okay, so we're okay today. You're telling me that this little baby is going to be okay. And so instead of like a rainbow baby, maybe she would be more of like a hope baby, like just the last little piece of life to cling on to of okay well we've done everything else maybe this this little piece we can have
0: yeah and I think it's about being present too right because what I've experienced in this in this pregnancy so far is trying to live by that mantra day by day and so just taking today as a gift and today today I'm still pregnant and, you know, that that is a beautiful gift of today. And so not trying to project onto the future. Of course, I hope that this baby ends up being our, quote, rainbow baby. But um, today it brings me joy just to have him here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably common for a lot of people post-loss is just that appreciation for what you have today. Yes. Um, because I, I certainly, in looking back, feel like I took – for granted my pregnancy with Ellis, like I wasn't present during the pregnancy as much as, of course, it's so easy to like project when you're looking back. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was just a lot of like planning and looking to the future. And I wasn't necessarily like, yeah, with him thinking about how grateful I was just to spend that day with him. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a a major difference.
1: Oh yeah. Um, Anna was our third. (laughs) And so, and I had a terrible pregnancy with her. I haven't had any great pregnancies. (laughs) My body certainly does not like being pregnant. I'm not one of those happy, this is the best time of my life, (laughs) women. (laughs) Um, And especially with Anna, she was, I was so sick all the time with her. I got Mm. every cold. I had pneumonia while I was with her. So it was, I regret that I didn't cherish that time. And I basically wished it away. And then one day it was gone. And I remember hating how fast my pregnancy body disappeared. I had never, (laughs) I don't have an easy time losing weight post-pregnancy. And with her, it was just, well, I didn't eat because I couldn't stomach anything. And it just disappeared. And I I remember feeling so upset that there was no physical part of her left in this world and I was so upset about it and so when I became pregnant with Quinn even though I I don't like being pregnant I still it was like you said like just every day is so its own little gift and I was so much more connected to her um in those days and I, I, it's so hard to explain to somebody who hasn't been there how much the post-pregnancy preg- or post-loss pregnancy is such a, a gift in life. So um, I don't know when in childhood I found this out, but I grew up in Canada and all or most of, and especially back when I was growing up, the baby showers were held after the baby is born and that's not a custom that is here and I remember as a child asking my mom like well like why is it after the baby's here it seems kind of silly like then you have all this all these presents that you have to deal with and you're hosting somebody while your newborn is not sleeping it seemed really like stressful to me and I remember her telling me well, you would never want to have all those things in your house, and then have something go wrong with the baby, and then have all of that stuff there. And I remember thinking that, like, oh, well, that maybe in the 50s, that was common, right. but that doesn't happen anymore. And, but it is always stuck with me. Like, it's a weird conversation that throughout the years has always been on my mind. And so with My first child, I had a baby shower after he was born. And then with my second, he was another boy. So we just didn't even have one. And then with my third, we found out it was a girl and I had always wanted a girl. (laughs) And I'm such a girly girl, that everyone was like, oh, we got to shower you in all pink stuff because everything is blue in your house. (laughs) And my best friend at the time wanted to throw a shower. And I was like, okay, well, we'll do it when she's here, just like we had done with Sawyer. And she was like, oh, no, like, you should do it when you're pregnant, we can celebrate your cute belly, it'll be so nice. And I thought, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, we should just do it for fun. And it does make sense to do that. And we do live in the States now. So (laughs) this is more customary here. And I liked the whole idea of it. And so I let her plan it. And we had actually picked a day Think like two or three weeks earlier and it got pushed back for whatever reason um and so like we invited all my friends and family that live in town but um my parents are still back in Canada and me and my mom had been dealing with grief with my sister and so I remember thinking that morning like I know my mom. She is totally going to show up. (laughs) She's gonna be at this baby shower because it's her first granddaughter, and she is so excited. And I talked to her on the phone and I teased her, like, oh well, I'll see you later. (laughs) I was so sure of it. And but she didn't end up coming because it was May long weekend and it was the flights were too expensive. She had wanted to come, but she couldn't. Um, so we had the baby shower and I don't know if I ever felt like she was ever in distress, but she was moving so much. I felt like she was enjoying the party. And I remember it was just such a, it was such a beautiful day. Like everything was perfect about that day. And I called one of my friends after who couldn't make it either. And I remember telling her that it was the first time. Sorry. I'm going to totally cry on this after I say I can talk without crying. I told her it was the first time I had been happy in so long Mm -hmm. and I was so amazed at this emotion that I hadn't felt because of grief and it had come in in such a big way that day and I just thought oh my gosh like life could not be better right now. I've already been at rock bottom. I've felt all that grief can do to you and now I feel joy in this new way that you can only experience if you do have that contrast. So I went to bed early, I think, and I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt off. But like I said, I had been really sick with her pregnancy. So I thought I'm probably just coming down with something. And I went back to bed and I woke up really early because I couldn't sleep. And I made the kid's Breakfast and I let my husband sleep in, which I'm like, oh, of course I did. Like, of course on that day. I was just so generous with life. And he came down about nine and I said, Can you just feel my forehead? I feel really sick. I just check if I have a fever because I'll want to go to the hospital because I'm pregnant and I can't run a fever. And he said, No, you're like, if anything, you're kind of like coolish to the touch. And I thought, okay, well, that's weird. And I still, I felt off, but I didn't feel worried. And so I went to have a bath because that's, it was my relaxation thing. And everyone who knew me knows that like baths are my thing. (laughs) And Anna loved the bathtub, probably because I spent so much time in it. (laughs) And so I remember that morning sitting there in the tub and I was reading a book and then it hit me that she hadn't been moving like she normally does in the water. And so I thought it was odd. And I asked my husband to bring me some ice water to just kind of shock her awake and nothing happened. And then I did the typical, like, okay, well I'll have some orange juice from my baby shower that's left over and I'll lay on my side. And the memories are so muddled here that I don't, I th- think that I felt her move but they wasn't a consistent movement it could have just been me changing positions and her body moving i'll never know quite when it happened only that it was very very close to when we delivered so at this point i was worried she wasn't moving like she should be and she's a very she was a very active morning baby and so i told my husband i was just going to like pop over to the medic clinic and just have them check because I was 34, 34 weeks on the dot. And I, I knew I was close enough (laughs) that if something was wrong, they would deliver her. And so I went to the first place and they turned me away immediately. (laughs) They were like, we are not equipped to deliver a baby. You're too far along. You have to go to the hospital. Wow. And I was that was the moment where I was really scared because I had, I had left the house by myself thinking, like, I'm overreacting. They're just going to do a quick heartbeat check. Everything mm. will be fine. I didn't say bye to my boys. They were playing in the playroom, and I just, like, walked right by them, went down the stairs. And my husband's office is right as you go out the front door. And I just waved at him, like, mm. I'm leaving now. I'll be back later.
0: I have so I to interject and say that that makes me feel better about my experience because you are, you were not a first time mom Mm -hmm. and yet you still thought, oh, I'm overreacting. I'll just drive myself. I did the same thing. I was a first time mom and did all those same things, drank the orange juice, laid on my side, nothing was happening. And then still thought I'm just overreacting. So I'll just, you know, call, call in, oh, my duelist says to go to the hospital, I'll, I'll just drive myself. I didn't even tell anyone. I didn't tell my family that I was going. So I've really kind of, um, beaten myself down about that at moments of like, oh, I shouldn't have like thought that I was overreacting. I should have just listened to my gut, but oh, yeah, hearing you say that makes me feel. Feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no. I, all the, like, so still when they turned me away,
1: and said I needed to go to the hospital. I got in my car and I sat there for five minutes thinking, do I really want to go to the hospital right now? Like, my husband's not with me. My parents are not in town to watch the boys. Like, this is not the day I'm having a baby. And it's too early to have, like, a healthy baby. This is a premature baby still. And so I, I sat in the car. and I texted my husband saying, they want me to go to the hospital. What should I do? And we're self-employed and we're from Canada where there's universal health care. <laughs> so we are very cautious when we have to do things like the hospital because we're very aware of the cost of that. And so, and him too, he's not a first time dad. He thought I was overreacting too. And he was like, I'm sure it's fine. And I had a doctor's appointment the next day. So we knew like, I'm seeing my doctor in like a couple hours anyways. And I just saw him last week and everything was fine. So like, this is probably, it's probably fine. And then I don't know what made me go, I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to myself. I'm just going to drive to the hospital. And it was, I think like a 25 minute drive on the freeway (laughs) and there's like a construction zone and it was down to like an absurd low speed limit. And nobody followed it. And of course that day I'm like driving the speed limit, cars are flying past me and I'm driving to the hospital by myself. And I called my mom and I was crying and I was just like, I don't know what to do. Like, this is scary. And I need you to talk to me on the phone while I get to the hospital because in that moment, it was just like, I need my mom. (laughs) And so she talked to me all the way there. I got to the hospital and I parked in the wrong spot (laughs) and I had to walk through the entire hospital to get to the maternity wing. Like everything that day was just like really wrong choices. And I, I, my mom was on the phone all the way in until I got to the check-in desk. And I said, I'll call you as soon as I'm checked in, I'm going to fill out some paperwork. And she said, everything's going to be okay. Okay. And we said, bye and sorry. I totally didn't expect to cry this much. <laughs> uh, and okay. I, I asked the nurse, I said, I, I think I'm in labor because I had felt some tightening on the drive and I had never been in labor before. I had two previous scheduled C-sections for other complications. And I said, I'm only 34 weeks. I think I'm in labor. I'm not sure what this feels like, but something's wrong. And they said, okay, we'll just fill out some paperwork and we'll be right with you. And they were kind of dismissive, which annoyed me because I was
0: like, can't you tell that this Mm -hmm. is an emergency? I had a similar experience.
1: (laughs) I was like, I guess I'm hiding it, but I'm very concerned. And so the whole nursing staff happened to be just in there like the it's shaped like a box and so they were all sitting inside the box and I I started filling out the paperwork and I got my name and I don't think much more than my name before my hand stopped working and it slipped off the paper and I think it took to that point for my mind to say Oh, something is seriously wrong here, wow. even though you've been denying it, there's been a lot of signs, and this is this is the biggest sign you can get. And so I remember looking up and I made eye contact with the same nurse, and I said, "I think something's wrong, and I passed out at that moment. I hit the floor <laughs> fully. I pregnant. can't believe
0: you made it to that <sighs> point, like driving and walking across the oh hospital. my gosh, every like
1: so my doctor said. So so at that point, I hit the ground and all the nurses rush over and they start rolling me down the hallway to, I think, triage. The hospital was under construction at the time, which is such a blessing because it was unrecognizable when I went back with my pregnancy with Quinn. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. So
1: I didn't have to face the same hallways or the same anything with her. So they get me back there. And at this point I'm in and out of consciousness, but for the most part I'm awake and there is like 30 people in the room. There's a woman on top of the bed with me. I'm terrified of needles. And there was so many needles in my arms within seconds. Like these women and men were just amazing (laughs) at their job. Like, I don't know how they worked on me so fast. Um, and then my doctor walked in and I remember thinking it's it's a Sunday morning and why would you be at the hospital like in this 10 minute time frame I guess he had been at church and it's across the parking lot from the hospital and he got the pager that I had come into the hospital and passed out and he ran across the parking lot oh my gosh so he came in in his like suit and tie from church and i just thought like this is really weird it's still like my mind was protecting me yeah and just saying like no don't worry like even though this is very chaotic everything will be fine because my mom told me it will be fine mm-hmm. um and at that point he he was doing an ultrasound and they said you've had a placenta abruption and and see i don't know if they said you're losing the baby or you've already lost the baby Cause I was in and out of it. And, um, but he said, we can't get her out until we stabilize you. And I had already lost half my blood supply, which is the maximum amount you can lose and still live. And wow after the fact, my doctor sat me down and told me he has never seen a patient come in and been that close to death. And survived it. He said a two-minute difference would have killed you had you waited for the elevator for another two minutes we wouldn't have been able to save you. So for all those decisions that led up to that point, it's like shocking that that they couldn't save her but that they managed to save me at all. So If you remember, I'm alone at this point. They called my husband. And the last he heard, I was just driving casually to the hospital. And they told him, get in the car right now because you're going (laughs) to, sorry, (laughs) you're going to lose your wife today and the baby's already gone. And I can't imagine how getting that call would feel even though I have been on the end of that call when my mom phoned me about my sister and I know how shocking it is to the human mind to hear like somebody is gone, you get here as fast as you can. So he actually, he left the house knowing that um, his cousin lives in this neighborhood behind us and he just told them, you have to come and get the kids. I'm leaving them in the house alone. I got to get to the hospital as soon as possible. And so like slowly it trickled out what was happening with our family. And on the way to the hospital, my husband called my mom. And the last thing she had heard was, I'm checking in and everything's okay. And when she saw his phone number pop up, she mistook it to be that he was calling with news that Anna had been born and she would be okay. So my mom was really excited when he called and he was in shock. So he wasn't crying and he had to break the news to her that Anna had passed away already. And then he chose not to tell her that I was also dying. And he just said, get on the plane, like, just get here as fast as you can. And by, we drive home to Canada every summer and Christmas, and it's a 20 hour drive, so it's a very big distance between our families, but the flight is direct two and a half hours. And I don't know how she did it. Uh, It feels like a miracle but she got on a plane immediately and she got here as fast as she could. <laughs> um, and they delivered Anna by C-section and I, the anesthesiologist came into the room to assess me and all of the nurses just kept being shocked about the fact that I was awake. Um, Cause like you said, there's, it makes no sense that we got in a car and drove ourselves. like they're just it defies human logic that you do those things. it It reminds me of like those stories where you hear like the baby is under a car and the mom lifts the whole car. It is a moment like that where it's just like, nope, I'm gonna do this because I have to do this and I'm a mom. And so I stayed awake because I thought I was gonna see Brandon for the last time because I was certain I was dying and they wanted to put me under for the c-section which would have been probably the smarter choice um and I asked to stay awake and the anesthesiologist said well if she can ask verbally I'm gonna keep her awake and I'm so grateful for him for like advocating for me because everyone in that room wanted to put me under. Yeah. Um, and I do remember that blog post I've written about those moments of knowing I thought if they put me under, I'll never wake up again and I'll never be able to talk to my husband about these things that are really important at the very end of your life. Everyone has that, that deathbed confession and I just wanted to tell him everyone that I loved. And so they kept me awake and he made it to the hospital. I think he definitely didn't follow the construction yeah. speed limit yeah. like I had. He got there in like 10 minutes and it took me 25 minutes. Um, and it was, I remember him arriving and I was just so in denial that Anna had died. And I continually asked him, is she okay? Is she okay? And he had to keep repeating to me, no, she's gone. We're delivering her. You're going to be okay. And every time I heard it, I would close my eyes and think, this isn't real. Like this isn't happening to me. This is the stories that you see on like Grey's Anatomy, but this is not reality. Women don't go through such traumatic events giving birth anymore. Like this is an 1800s story. This is not a 2018 story. And so they delivered her via C-section and she was born, I think like, 45 minutes after I got to the hospital like it was it felt like three hours had gone by for me but it was so fast um I needed to have uh full blood plasma and platelets during the c-section and I continued to have them in recovery and and then she was there and it it felt like, like I had had two babies before and she felt just like them. Like she just felt like this is in my head and I'm holding her. And if I think hard enough, she's gonna open those eyes and she's gonna be here cause this is so wrong. So it must not be real. And it just, it felt like having the boys again, like, It just felt the exact same. And it was so different. And then they let us have, we had 12 hours with her, um, which I'm sure to some people seems like so long because they've never experienced that time. But no time could be enough. I know people that have had days with their babies and they feel the same as I do, And I know people that only spent 20 minutes with them because there, there's nothing going into that experience that, you know, is normal. And I remember when they asked if I wanted to bring her into the room. And at first I thought, I don't want to see her. Like she's, she's this tiny dead body. And I was so afraid of that. And I was afraid as a mother that I wouldn't, love her in the way that I loved my other children who had lived and so I almost said no um and then the nurse actually said I think you should just see her and maybe you'll feel differently and of course like as soon as they lay her in your arms it's it's the same with any baby you instantly love them because you've always loved them And then we just sat with her, like um, they didn't have a cuddle cot at the time, but I don't think I would have used it anyways because I held her in my arms the entire time. I felt super selfish because my husband was there and I think he got to hold her for maybe an hour (laughs) because I couldn't give her up. And I knew that there was going to be that moment where I had to give her up forever. Um, and I had been talking to one of my friends who is a a NICU nurse in Canada, and she had been guiding me through everything like pre-hospital and then after she found out what happened. And she's the one that told me, you need to get some clothes and you need to get a bow because this is your first girl and you're going to want to experience the girl things that you never got with the boys. I'm so glad that she did that because I, I did have those tiny, like there's so much that I regret not doing with her, like giving her a bath and like cutting off a piece of her hair to remember. There's so much I didn't do that the things that I did do become so much more memorable, like putting her in that ruffle butt onesie is just like the best thing I did with her that day. And then I knew that with the boys, the thing that I loved the most was when they sleep on your shoulder. And I know a lot of moms have told me after that they wish they had held their babies in those ways. And I'm so glad I did those, like those normal things that so many people are denied when they have a stillbirth. Um. And then right before we gave her up, um, my mom showed up. And at that point I didn't even know that she was on an airplane. And my husband said, "Oh, well, of course I called her. And she knows everything. And she's just down the hallway, she's just arrived. <laughs> and there's a picture of when she comes in and it's me with Anna on my chest. And my mom comes over and just, like, holds my head and Anna. And it's such a profound picture because it's such a journey of motherhood, of generations. And my mom had previously lost her daughter. And now we shared this really horrible experience of loss. And so... Like we said earlier, it's hard, like you're instantly connected to other lost moms. So in that moment, my mom had already felt everything that I was feeling and she knew everything. So it's such, I'm so grateful that she was able to be there in that moment. And she's the only other person that met and held her. And I'm so glad it was her that got to be that special person in Anna's life. This is the first time I've put on mascara in like almost two years. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, why did I think I could do this today? Uh, (laughs) Oh. But it feels really good to talk about her and cry about her. Um because I think two years out, you, you do become, I've said that story so many times and it almost becomes just, I know the words, I know the story, this is what happened. And sometimes it feels so cold to talk about it when it is such a huge moment. So being able to cry just now is like cathartic. It's really nice. (laughs) Um, As people started to find out about it, everyone wanted to do something. And of course, people wanted to be able to celebrate her life. And they asked questions about memorials. And we even had some people step up and want to plan a memorial for her, um, knowing that I would be in the hospital. I was there for six days because my recovery was so intense and I continued to need uh, blood transfusions while I was there. And so people talked about balloon releases, and I think they're really beautiful. And there's so many beautiful ways to celebrate life, but nothing sounded right to me. And I looked over at my husband and it just like dawned on me like, well, I'm only alive because eight different people donated their blood and saved my life. So if I want to do something to celebrate Anna's life, I want it to be in a really meaningful way. And so right there in the hospital, we decided we would have a blood drive for her memorial. And we had no idea what we were calling it back then, but we started planning it and um, we picked, we had already scheduled her C-section to be um, June 26th. And so we had, We had that date like looming ahead of us still, and it's the first, that whole first year has such daunting days to get through, and that was going to be the first one for us, and I thought, I can't make it through that day without something being really good. So we picked that date, and I thought maybe like 20 people will come. and we had people come out of the woodworks signing up to donate Mm -hmm. and then we had people around the world joining us with the hashtag give love for anna wow and they would post their donation story and a picture of them i even had a friend who was stationed in germany she had um their air force base host a blood drive, and they had like 35 people sign up with just them. Wow. And everyone takes a picture with the hashtag, and it's got her name in it. And it's just so amazing to see these stories. And now, two years in, like collectively, they're all there on Instagram of this beautiful, like, legacy that she's created. And I think at this point, well, every donation can save up to three lives. And so at this point, I think we're like into the eight hundreds numbers of lives that we have potentially saved because of her blood drive. That's incredible. It's the best feeling. Like it's just, when you have a child, you just want so much for them to be the best that they can be. And then you feel so robbed of that with a stillbirth because you've already seen like their whole future in your mind. And so to see that even though she's gone, she has continued to be such a source of good in this world. As a mother, it's like the best feeling for me. I'm so like unbelievably proud of the blood drive and what it has turned into. Like it just continues to grow. I thought it would, I thought the biggest one would be the first one and it would kind of trickle off, but people have just really found a way to support this, no matter where they are, like local or international with us. And then this year we sold t-shirts because not everyone is able to donate blood. And we had so many comments being like, I'm so sorry, I'm not eligible. (laughs) Like I would somehow hold that against them. (laughs) Um, So we designed a t-shirt and the onesie that she wore in the hospital, I I had somebody just, I was like, just bring any onesie in the drawer. There's some ones in the top left corner of newborn size. Like it was such a, there was no decision about it. They just brought one thing to the hospital and it happened to be this little sleeper and it has these clouds all over it and these rainbow raindrops. And I didn't know at the time that one of the raindrops is in the shape of a heart. and so. I was looking at it recently and I thought, Oh my gosh, this is like such a perfect design for a blood drive because the teardrops that I feel like, like at first I thought, Oh, well, this is the perfect onesie for my dead child because it's crying. Like it's a cloud and it's so sad. And then it became like, Oh, well, and it's rainbow themed. Like that's weird. There was just so many things about this outfit that always seemed to take on a piece of where I am in the journey. And so when I could turn it into her blood drive icon, it was so exciting this year. Like I just could not believe that that is the design that she was wearing two years ago. And now it has morphed into her blood drive design. And it's the same thing. Like it is such a, I don't know. It's such a powerful thing when you find those symbols, like they are absolutely there with us saying like, here you go. Like, this mm-hmm. is my way of saying I've known all along that this is what was supposed to happen. So um, our blood drive got pushed off because of the the virus, which is really sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we're still going to, me and my family and a couple people have decided we're going to go on the 20th and we're going to donate blood and then we'll, we'll have the, big bus come out um later in the year.
0: Nice. Yeah. I love that. That's just it's such a like you said a, a visceral way to um celebrate Anna's life and and have her impact be seen and shared by so many in a way that literally saves other people's lives. Yeah. yeah. It's just I love that.
1: I think I always equate it to um I never want anyone to feel like how we felt that day and it could have been so much worse had people not donated blood I wouldn't have made it either and so even though they couldn't save Anna they still saved me and that is only possible because of blood donation and so if I can at any way help somebody else not feel this pain and this grief like it's just such a simple thing and such a huge gift to give to a complete stranger. Like I will never be able to thank those people and they saved my life.
0: Yeah. You also started um, a missing stitch. Oh yes. (laughs) So tell us about that. Oh my gosh. I feel like there's
1: just, (laughs) I feel like I couldn't, I never found a therapist that I clicked with. I tried really hard and there was such, I have like the worst horror stories about therapists in like deep grief. Like I think I saw the first one a week after Anna had died and my husband was there and he was explaining everything we had been through at that point. There's a lot in my history. And her response was, well, I think everyone deserves a break. And I was just like, well, I feel like my break needs to come soon because yeah. <laughs> I am. I don't know how much more I personally can take uh, on at this point. And I was just like, that was the most dismissive thing you could not have helpful. possibly said. Yeah. <laughs> like, how did you get a job as a therapist? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I saw a couple others and it just never fit for me, but I knew that I needed something um, to help me through my grief. Um, when we were dealing with my sister's grief, um, she was in the hospital for a long time, like the ICU unit. Um, and she has a little boy that's the same age as my oldest. And so at that time, the way I could work through my grief and be like progressive in life was I took him home with me and he lived with us. And I, I was able to put like all the love I had for my sister onto her child. And so it was really helpful and therapeutic to have like such a driving force of just do this. And that's all you need to do today is keep him safe, keep him happy. And that's all I'm in control of. And so when Anna died, there was nothing like there was. I had my living children, but I felt like such a terrible mother at that time anyways, because I never felt like I could be the mom that I previously was to them. And I was holding myself at such a standard that I never was able to meet that bar. And so I there's like a million things that I went through just trying to find an outlet of my grief and just have it be like a solely my own thing. And um, my grandma actually taught me to crochet when I was five, which is, that's an amazing feat on your own. Yeah. To teach a five-year-old. Um, she taught me how to knit and crochet. And wow. I spent like every day after school with her and she would just let me sit there. And I made like panel after panel, nothing ever was a usable piece. <laughs> but she taught me that. And, uh, I've picked it up over the years. Like when my grandpa passed away, I spent a lot of time crocheting with my grandma again, but it's always just been like a thing in the back burner. Like, Oh, I don't really have time for that. It is a very time consuming thing. And it takes all of your focus. And so, um, I think it was like, I could not sleep after Anna died, like at all. And, One night at like 3 a.m. I was on Pinterest just scrolling, endlessly scrolling on my phone. It was such a a time where I just needed distractions all Mm -hmm. the time. I think I watched everything on Netflix that summer. Mm -hmm. And I found this pattern and it was like, oh, too easy. Like anyone can do this. And so I made my first hat at like three in the morning one night. (laughs) And I thought, oh, that feels so good to accomplish something because in that point of my life, I felt like I couldn't accomplish anything, nothing I did ever measured up until that moment. And I thought, Oh, I'm really proud of this. And so then the next day I made another one. And then the next day I made another one (laughs) and it was just, it was so good to, it like fully broke my phone habit. And because crocheting is such a a numbers thing, you're constantly counting. And so I was just, my whole focus could be on the hat for a minute. And it was the first break I got from thinking about Anna constantly. And so by the time like 20 hats piled up and I'd given one to everyone I knew, (laughs) I thought, oh, I, I need somewhere for them to go because I can't stop making them because it is such a therapy to me and I hadn't been able to find anything therapeutic at that point point. and so somebody was like oh well you should sell them and I thought nobody's gonna want to buy any of these <laughs> like um and I don't I don't even know how the name really came up I just wanted I wanted there to be oh no that's how it came up When my grandma taught me, I couldn't follow patterns because I always missed stitches. Like my thing was always off because they'd be like, count back, oh, well, you missed one here. And so I thought it was amazing that I could finally magically read patterns and do them perfectly. It just seemed really weird to me. Like I'd tried for 30 years to get it (laughs) and I could never do it. And then it just pops into my head that suddenly you have this talent now. Um, and so I wanted to play with that, um, that I had never been able to do it and I always had a missing stitch and now this missing stitch was Anna in our lives. And mm. so I That's wanted, beautiful. yeah, I wanted her to be such a big part of it in that way. Like she is strung in our family, but she is missing. Like there's this hole in my life where she is. But you know where she fits in it, like, because it's very clearly right there in this whole, I don't know, pattern of my family. <laughs> um, and then so I f- i started with the Anna hat and, and people just, I don't know if it was that they wanted to support me and this was finally a way that other people could just easily support someone. Like nobody knows how to support someone in grief. And this was a very easy outlet for people to be like, well, of course I'll wear an Anna hat and I'll buy one from you. And um, backtracking, I, <laughs> my company went into bankruptcy the day after Anna died. Oh my gosh. So it was just like, a, oh, well, everything in my life is oh gone. <laughs> my gosh. I totally forgot about that too. And it wasn't a big deal. It was more of just like a side little thing, but it was my way of like earning Starbucks money and Target spending cash. Like it was just a little side thing that I had, but it was gone too. And so this allowed that to come back into play. Mm -hmm. And so I think like the rest of 2018 and 2019, I would take my kids to school And I would go through the Starbucks drive through and I'd get my little order that I had every day and I'd sit in my car and I would listen to podcasts and I would just crochet for like hours because Mm. that time that I thought I would be home with a newborn was so massive in my mind of, well, I shouldn't be doing this because I should be with a newborn and I shouldn't be doing that because I should be Like there should be a baby in my car. Everything felt like this huge neon sign that I could see and nobody else could see. Mm -hmm. And so I created this space that um, was this whole new thing for me. Like I never would have done this had she not died. And so it was like my little routine And it's, it's really like what got me through those days because I don't know, it was just such a, it came into my life at the right time. It was therapeutic for me and probably not for anyone else. Like I'm sure crocheting is super frustrating to people who don't know it. (laughs) And then, and it was like that, like I said, at three in the morning, like I was, I was so proud of this little thing that I had built and it just continued to grow. And then I made like, I think we sold like a hundred Anna hats that year, which was shocking to me. And then I had people start asking, well, like, do you make anything else? (laughs) And I thought, no, (laughs) like I only know this one pattern. Don't put too much pressure on me. (laughs) And I started playing around with different patterns that I found on uh, Pinterest. And I thought, well, if I've named this one after Anna, wouldn't it be so cool of like a design concept that every piece that I bring into my shop is named after someone else's missing stitch? And so then the collection has grown, and we have two, three. I think we have six or seven different pieces now that are all named after i named one after my sister and then i named others after my friends my lost mom friends their babies and i love that every time i get an order i think oh isn't that so sweet like you ordered a sloan and i get to say her name into the world again Mm. And it keeps their like names and their stories alive because of this tiny little thing that I'm doing. And it seems so insignificant. Like it's just a name of a little crocheted project online, but it has reached so many different places. And now when people wear them, they tag me and they tag usually the lost mom that the item is named after. Mm. And I think it is such a, a really cool way to grow the community past people that have experienced
0: loss Mm -hmm. it's neat and i'm sure those moms feel so proud in a way to have someone else wearing a hat with their baby's name Um, so that's such a a gift that you're giving to those other moms and i i would venture to guess too that those initial 100 or so people who bought anna hats you know weren't necessarily just doing it to support you but my experience has been that when you're so vulnerable with your own grief, even if someone hasn't been through the exact same experience of loss, that kind of touches something in them, you know, some grief that they've experienced or some suffering they've had. And so I think that though that like symbol, that hat is a symbol of your healing, and then it when they you know also have that into into their own lives, it's like a piece of your healing becomes a piece of their healing. So yes. you know, even if they can't relate to pregnancy loss, mm-hmm. um, so I, I think it's more than just like supporting you. I think it's this kind of collective healing that we all um experience. That's like the most beautiful way to put
1: that. I'm gonna have to save that.' <laughs> Little blurb. Yeah.
0: I think I need I think- an Elliitat at some point too. Um absolutely.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say, I guess I've never really thought of it. Um, like in reverse, like when you always post pictures of rainbows that people send in, I'm always so excited when I find something rainbow, and I'm like, "Oh, this is for Ellis," and I'm so excited to show it to you because it's like, "Look at like he's doing this in the world right now," and it's it is nice that you can just like witness that for somebody else and say like, "I absolutely see this." And I'm sharing it with you because it's such a, there's so many negatives and grief is so heavy. And those are the little, little tiny light things that you get in grief that it is so nice to put those back out into the world.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, okay. So for one thing that's come up into my mind is the fact that Anna was your fourth C-section third c-section um, third okay third yeah. c-section Quinn's the, the fourth okay yeah um and so I have not met too many other lost moms who have had a stillbirth with a c-section um and it's something I've been talking about more recently because it's affecting my current pregnancy and um just you know thinking about a birth plan well I have a repeat cesarean or a VBAC. And I've talked about it in some of my recent episodes, just like the different opinions I've been getting from different doctors. Uh-huh. And I had a couple of listeners write in and say that they also had a stillbirth of a C-section and it have, it's kind of a rare thing. So, you know, they were feeling alone and um, unsure of how that might affect their future. So um, if you're ready to kind of transition to talking about starting to try again Was that a part of your conversation? Because I remember the nurse, as we were leaving the hospital, she was like, oh, I'll see you in two years. And I was like, kind of like, what? And and she said, well, the doctor's probably going to tell you that you have to wait at least a year to start trying again because you had a C-section. Yeah. And I was devastated Mm -hmm. when I heard that. I was like, I have to wait a year just to start trying? Much less like, you know? I remember that
1: being like one of my immediate thoughts because I'd already had two C-sections so I understood the recovery from them and I thought I was I was a little like off track from my boys are really close together and I thought oh it's really sad that this pregnancy is a four year gap like that seems really far for my youngest and now this new baby and so when she died I thought oh my gosh now even if we get pregnant at the soonest point possible she's there's going to be a five or six year gap. And like that poor baby at the end is going to be like, it's going to be a whole different childhood than my other living children. And I was so upset about it. And I like immediately started panicking about how long it would be until I could have another child. And I remember we were in the hospital and my husband was holding Anna in his arms And I thought I'm the worst mother in the world for thinking this. She's here physically in our arms. And all I can think about is I need another, a baby. Like I need a living baby in my arms right now. And I was like, she's right. Like you just gave birth a few hours ago. How could this be the thought on your mind? Especially because with my living boys, It was like the farthest thing from my mind. Like I have just given birth. I don't want to do that again for a long time. So I thought, what is wrong with me that I am feeling this in such like a primal level that I need this baby. Like I need it now. I probably, if you had told me I could get pregnant the next day, I would have been like, let's do this. Me too. Um, And then I was shocked. Um, Our doctor said six months and I had never heard that from a doctor before. And I had As in, switched.
0: T- is that too short or too long compared too to Too short. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: I thought for sure he would say a year. Yeah. Um, and we had switched doctors in between. The first two were with one doctor. And I switched for Anna's um, just for like a bunch of different reasons. So he was new to me, but the fact that he had like shown up like ran across the parking lot for Anna. I was like, okay, well, I trust your opinion. Like I hold you in such a high regard. Um, And then when he said six months, I thought, Oh my gosh, that's like so short. That's really exciting. Like I'll be barely out of postpartum before we can try again. And for me, I think because I, I felt Anna's loss the most that day and my husband he saw, he said like he accepted her death almost immediately because I was also dying and Mm. he knew he could only handle one at a time. Yeah. And so for him, he did not want to get pregnant again because he just equated it to, well, if you get pregnant again, this could happen again and I could lose both of you. Yeah. And for me, I, I, I have a hard time going to that spot of, yeah like I almost died. like I casually talk about it, even though it's such a like very few people have a near death experience to that level, and so for me, I was like, Well, absolutely we're gonna have another baby, and like I want it as soon as possible, and so our grief started to take very different tracks because I was so focused on having another baby, and he was so worried about having another baby um and so, at the six month mark, we got a positive pregnancy test.
0: Wow, <laughs> and we
1: were not trying, <laughs> and that was very like it took me i didn't get pregnant like easily with all of my kids, but I didn't have a hard time either um but with Max, my middle one, it took over a year to try for him, and so I just sort of I assumed that it would be hard because it was coming after loss. So when I got pregnant with Quinn, it was like shocking almost. Um, I think my husband was terrified. (laughs) Neither of us had the same, like this was our fourth pregnancy. And we've had three where like, you have that whole excitement and everything followed the normal patterns and everything. And this one came with a test that was like, oh, like, those are some lines. And I don't know how I feel about those lines, even though I've desperately wished for those lines. And it it became like this whole, oh, I've wanted this and now I don't know if I want this. Like, mm-hmm. but it's too late because you're already pregnant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's every emotion you can feel in one single moment. Um, yeah, that, that was last December that I got pregnant with her. Um, And the weird thing is, is I just sort of assumed it would be another girl. <laughs> and I called her Quinn from like the first day, <laughs> mm. which is very weird. And I've never done that with any of my babies. I've never had like a, that intuition that they were one or the other. Um He was terrified going in to find out the gender and I wanted to find out like immediately because I knew if I had to take down that nursery, I was going to need a lot of time to deal with that, Um, especially so Quinn was my fourth C-section. That's about as many as you can have. I think some doctors will do five, but four is like a general cap. So we knew that this was for sure the last baby. Um, And then it was just, it was crazy that she was another girl. Like I just felt like Anna had such a guiding hand in that. Um, And it's like terrible that I feel like when she grows up, we'll have such a, a, unique bond of i had a sister and i don't currently have a sister and she will have the same Mm. she does have a sister but she does not get to have that same sister relationship that everyone else gets to have yeah yes i've thought like a million different future versions of life
0: (laughs) that gives me goosebumps i hadn't thought of it that way
1: yeah it's like how
0: you and your mom also share exactly like there's
1: there's such a generation thing in my family of like sharing these immense things that people it's not a norm to have that shared experience within one family. And we have all these layers to it. So, yeah. Do you want me to talk about Quinn's pregnancy? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. No,
0: I want to hear all of it because I'm 14 weeks right now. And so far, you know, have amazingly felt a lot of peace, even in the midst of the pandemic and everything. Um, But I think for me, the moments of anxiety come up around appointments. So initially, early on, yeah, I was having weekly ultrasounds for the first like 10 weeks, basically. And which was great, of course, to see, especially having had an early miscarriage too, To have that
1: reassurance.
0: Um, Yeah. But then every single one, I just felt my body tensing up like the night before, the morning of, and then there'd be this huge release once I actually saw the baby. And and then I felt like almost this bliss, you know, for like that would last until the next one. Um, And so thankfully, I'm not like living in anxiety all the time. But um, I'm also aware that because I've also had a late term stillbirth that those anxieties might um, come up in a whole new way as we get closer to that, you know, 32 weeks. Um, yeah. So I'd love to hear just your your experience um, of pregnancy after loss. Um, so I stayed with my doctor,
1: which I know a lot of people switch because it's like too much PTSD to see their same faces or go to the same clinics. Um. I stayed with him and he's not (laughs) known for like his bedside manner. (laughs) Uh, But he was so like gentle with my grief, even though he's not like a sensitive person. Um, And I just felt like he was the only one that was going to understand how absolutely crazy I was going to be. (laughs) Cause I knew going into that pregnancy that this was not going to be like any of my previous pregnancies, especially so, so
0: soon after you know yes. six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: Oof, that felt so crazy to be pregnant while being like almost in postpartum still. Um, I'd never experienced that. My boys are three years apart, and then Anna and Max would have been like four and a half years apart. So I've never had a close pregnancy. Um. So he was really nice about he was like here's my cell phone number and anytime you need to use it just feel free to call me
0: that's amazing
1: which is amazing like it's a very generous offer to give basically a stranger (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and I did use it a couple times I had a panic about I had some spotting early on and I had had spotting with Anna that turned into a I think it's called a subchorionic hemorrhage. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So I had already had like too many experiences in pregnancy. Uh, And he let me come in every week. And I had an ultrasound every week just to be like, here you go. Like just some reassurance, like Mm. you said. Throughout the whole? Throughout the entire pregnancy. So I started seeing them. So I, I missed my period by like, weeks on weeks. And I went in being like, there's got to be something wrong. Can you just do a blood test? I'm not getting any positive pregnancy tests. But this is weird for me to have gone like two full months without a period. And they did a a blood test and it came back positive on there. But I was only five weeks pregnant at that point. And that's when they started seeing me weekly was at wow. five weeks. So really like it was, it felt like an extremely long pregnancy because of that. <laughs> Cause I don't think I saw with my other ones. I never saw a doctor until you're like yeah. 10, 12 weeks. Um, I called him for the first time when I was spotting at I think 10 weeks and it was a Sunday and I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I, I don't know how I'm going to wait until Monday and I texted him just saying like, I'm really worried, is this normal? And his response was, I'll meet you at the clinic. And I thought, oh, well, like it's Sunday, it's closed. And so I had, my husband was traveling and I had the boys with me and I showed up and he had brought his wife because he cannot, like patient rules, you have to have somebody else in the room <laughs> and uh, so he, he brought his wife along and she ended up watching the boys in the hallway because I I did not want to tell them that I was pregnant, especially if I was spawning and I was afraid that we were going to lose another baby. Right. And so he did an ultrasound, like fully opened the clinic and he did it himself. And he was like, I'm not even sure what I'm doing. I don't even do ultrasounds. It's like beneath him. So
0: generous.
1: <laughs> it was so nice on like a human level that he knew I just needed that that reassurance of everything is okay. I know that you've had this experience in the past, but that's not what's happening. And so I think I showed up like two or three more times just unannounced. And he said, just like walk straight in, just tell them who you are. They know that you just need that, that 10 minute thing in between appointments and we'll just slip you in. Um, and so my pregnancy was pretty uneventful until 28 weeks <laughs> And my husband was traveling again <laughs> um, and he said, it was the first time he had like traveled for a long period since everything had happened. And he said like, don't do anything crazy. Like just have a really quiet weekend. Don't leave the house. Don't like exert yourself in any way. Just be really calm. Cause I'm going to be gone for, I think he was gone for like four days. <laughs> And I said, Oh, absolutely. Like this is, I would never do anything. Like I was so overly cautious during this pregnancy. And on that first night (laughs) at like three in the morning, I woke up and I felt the same sort of pain that I had felt the day that Anna had died when I woke up overnight and just dismissed it. But this time I was like, Oh my gosh, like, is this the same thing that's happening again? felt the exact same way. I had the tightening, like a contraction. Wow. And I was alone with my boys and I texted my neighbors like frantically, like, can somebody come over? And nobody responded because it's three in the morning. Wow. And, um, so I packed the boys up (laughs) and at this point they knew about the pregnancy. (laughs) I packed them up and we rushed to the hospital (laughs) And I got to check in, and the nurses had the audacity to say, like, oh, well, isn't there someone that can watch your children? I was like, if there was, do you yeah. think I would have dragged them? here?" Yeah, like, <laughs> and, and then at that point, I think I started crying. And it is like when you become vulnerable – sorry. Um, when you become vulnerable, people – will react differently. And and there was that understanding of, oh, well, of course not. Of course I wouldn't have brought them in. And so they hooked me up to all the machines and the boys like watched TV in the corner and they were so good. Like for little children to be dragged out of bed at 2 a.m., they were so good about just sitting patiently. And I think it's because they also have gone through such a drastic... Life experience at such a young age, like yeah. they just accepted what it was, didn't complain, happily sat there for hours.
0: Wow!
1: Um, and at that point, they discovered I was in preterm labor at 28 weeks, and Gosh. they that's when they started managing that I was in preterm labor, and I think I was I went in like three or four times to triage in that condition of, okay, the contractions have started. I've been timing them. Again, I always drove myself to the hospital. And the nurses all remembered me from Anna's delivery because we basically used everyone on that unit staff.
0: And I'm sure they, I mean, that was probably very traumatic and memorable for them too. Yeah. Like, I, I guess, like,
1: I don't realize how big of a situation it was but anytime I re-entered the hospital there would always be a face that said um do you remember me and I'm like Mm. no but I know why you remember me yeah and it was almost comforting like I I know a lot of people they switch doctors they switch hospitals because they don't want that PTSD and I told that's such a valid thing to try and avoid to deal with this. Um, but for me, it was such a comfort that every time I went in, there seemed to be a nurse on the staff that said, I was there. I know how you're feeling right now. I know why you're upset. And it just allowed me to release a little bit of the anxiety of like, okay, well, like they know why I'm at this level. Right. And not just like an, Like, there's a lot of people that are anxious in pregnancy. And I was anxious in my other pregnancies, but pregnancy after loss is such a, oh, it's such a massive thing to even explain to somebody. Um, And to have people that haven't experienced it, but they've experienced your story. It's, oh, it's amazing. Like, I, I loved everyone who said those words to me. Like, do you remember me? And I'm like, Oh yes. Like I'm going to hear another story about your version of what happened that day. Um, so it was really special. Um, and that, that lasted from 28 weeks until 30 weeks. I went in like three times.
0: In so those... you weren't actually having to stay in the hospital. You were no. Just... so they would, um, they would get my contractions under control,
1: um, with, Uh, I was on a couple different drugs and then they would put fluid, like dump fluid into me. Um, And then they would send me home and it would be like three or four days later. And I'd be like, I'm back, like still happening. And they would up my medication and it would bring it down for a little bit. And I would always have to keep going back. And that was such a routine at that point that on the day that I went in, I think it was like, Oh, it was June 20th because I was like, of course it's the 20th. Right. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: I told my husband I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go check into the hospital again. Yeah. And he was, it had been such a routine that again we were just like, see ya. Like I'm just gonna go over there, pop in, they'll up my medication, and I'll Mm -hmm. be back within a couple hours. And I. Texted him from the hospital and I was like, so they're not gonna discharge me this time. They're admitting me. And I think for anyone else, they probably would have been annoyed or scared. And for me, I was like, it was like winning the lottery. Like I've gone in so many times, (laughs) and I've never wanted to be discharged. And finally, you're keeping me. Um. So I was excited. And I was like in full blown labor on that night. Wow. And how, how many weeks were you? I was 30 and like two days. Okay. Um, so they, uh, they did not want me having the baby that day. (laughs) So they pumped me full of magnesium um, I'm probably the only person that you'll talk to that loved the feeling of me. <laughs> they were like, you're going to hate this. Nobody likes it. And I was like, this is so <laughs> great <laughs> because I felt it'd been like a year of just like h- such high strung anxiety. And it was just this like let go feeling of like, okay, well, this is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and Again, the nurse that checked me in remembered me from Anna's and she was so comforting and so good. And they kept me in, um, what is it? It's not postpartum. Is it the delivery wing? I don't know. They kept me on that side because they were fairly certain they couldn't stop the contractions at this point. And so we had the NICU team come in and talk to us about delivering a preterm 30 week old baby. And everyone was pretty calm about it. Like, nobody really wanted to deliver her that early, but they weren't like afraid of the topic if it was going to happen. And how did that make you feel? I was, at that point, I was so afraid of getting to the end and having another stillbirth that. I didn't care when she came out. I just needed her out. I felt very confident in the NICU team. And I thought, there's no reason to jeopardize her future and leave her inside of me when I've got such a volatile history. Can't we just take her out? So I was often more frustrated that they wouldn't just like, let's book the C-section and take her out. Mm -hmm. And they were like, no, every single day is a good, like, it's so much better every single day that she stays inside. But not, not for a lost mom. Not for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then on that first day that I was there, I can't remember what happened. I was still on magnesium. So I was really lethargic and I think it, so the magnesium can sometimes pass to the baby. And so I think it made her really lethargic. And so they did a um, an ultrasound right on the bedside with me. And her heart rate started slowing down, like on the screen, just started dropping. And in that moment, I went into such a panic because they flung like the, the backrest back and like laid me flat. Nurses came running in and I thought, this is too familiar. Yeah. I know how this ends. And so I started like sobbing, crying and they're all, they're all dealing with their own stuff and nobody's really talking to me and that's when the nurse that was in the room just like held my hand and like brushed my hair and she didn't say anything she just knew that I was not okay and she couldn't do anything else in that situation so she was going to be the person that was with me um i don't think my husband was there because he was with our boys with Had my that- mom hadn't come like we don't have any family yeah. in town so it was such a juggle to be caring for them at home and then with us at the hospital
0: had that nurse um, been at Anna's birth
1: no so I asked her because I thought this is really unique it feels really um connected to me in this moment that you would know I needed like those exact things and, then a day after the fact, she told me that she had also lost mm. a baby to stillbirth. She had the same doctor I did. Wow. In the same hospital that I did, but it had been like six years before. Wow. I thought, oh my gosh, like, what are the odds that of all the nurses in here, you're the nurse that's my nurse in that exact moment? Oh, I just like I get chills all the time because I just feel like there's so many stories that Anna's story has like opened up to and it just spiderwebs out into like a million different women that are connected in this way and to like it's just the odds of her being my nurse was just so low that I couldn't believe that she was the one that was there in that moment um and everything was fine with her they figured out it was the magnesium and that's when they decided it was too risky to send me home because there was too much going on with my body. Um, So they booked me into antepartum and I moved over to that wing. And that's actually where I spent the week after Anna had died. Mm. And so I was really nervous to go over there because it is a quiet wing. And that's why I was there with her. Um, And so to me, I thought, Oh my gosh, it's just going to be, well, her room was if you enter in the hallway to antepartum, her room was the very far end. And it's like just this huge tunnel to the back of this room that's dark. And I know that's where they put every stillbirth mom because was it at is at the end of
0: the hallway too. Yeah.
1: And so like ugh, entering that unit and just seeing that door, I was like, I can't spend time in here. And. Before I could even say it, the nurses were like, we know that you were in this room and we're going to make sure that you're not anywhere near that room. Wow. And so they had me in a room for like two hours and they were like, we're just waiting for another room to become available because we feel like this is too close to that room. And then they moved me over to a completely different hallway where I didn't have to see the door at all, which is such a, it sounds like a minimal thing to do. Like, oh, it's just a room. But the fact that they, before I could even say it, they looked at my records, they found out which room it was, and they acknowledged that, like, obviously that room has horrible memories. We're going to make sure that your stay here has just a little bit less trauma to it by avoiding this one thing. Like, it's it's such a huge thing. Yep. Um, and then, of course... The nurses in antepartum were all the nurses that cared for me with Anna. So there was a lot of familiar faces. Um, And then there was a few new ones that like knew my story, but they weren't part of that day. Um, But it felt like like family. Like I I was so happy to be in the hospital. And I remember people being like, oh my gosh, I would be so crazy being stuck there. And like, like people are going crazy in quarantine right now. And I'm like, oh, I was quarantined to a bed. <laughs> yeah. And but it was so I was so happy to be there because everyone everyone there understood and everyone was so patient with my emotions that were on a constant roller coaster.
0: And I bet just being um, kind of constantly monitored was gave you peace of so mind. Nice. Yeah.
1: Yes. Um I had because like they switch staff all the time. And I would have some that overnight I wanted the monitors on and they would if i fell asleep and i moved and the monitors would come off they'd be like it's fine cuz she's sleeping <laughs> but then i would wake up and you would hear nothing on the monitor and i'd be like Yee! and so it became this thing like where the nurses just knew like oh it doesn't matter if she's sleeping just go in and adjust her and hearing her heartbeat i feel like it was the first time in her whole pregnancy where i accepted like this is another living baby and she is actually alive right now. And she might actually be alive when I give birth. And I hadn't been able to go there before that moment. Um, and I have like so many videos on my cell phone of just like staring at the the heart rate monitor in the hospital bed. Like there's her heartbeat. Like this is real. This is happening. And I'm sure that sounds absurd to other people who have never experienced loss that I'd be like, I think I was like 32 weeks at this point, And I still hadn't accepted that there might actually be a baby coming home with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was there from 30 weeks to 34 weeks. And Anna was born on 34 weeks on the dot on a Sunday and my week switched over on a Sunday with Quinn. And I thought, ugh, I have like, that's just another daunting date to get through. Um, I, like 34 weeks just seemed like this looming thing. And I thought, how did I get checked in at 30 weeks? And they were willing to deliver her that day. And now we've pushed it out and pushed it out. And they, at that point, they were like, you're going to make it to 39 weeks. And I was like, no, take her out. Yeah. Um, and so 34 weeks was just a really big mental hurdle for me. And when we got through it, I thought, okay, like, look at, we did it. Like we got through 34 weeks and she, it came like with its own emotion. Like Quinn is now older than Anna will ever be. Um, But it felt good to get through it. Um, And I'd been having contractions this entire time and it just became like Everyone was just like, yep, she's contracting, like full on labor contractions. They were always like three to five minutes apart. So this was 34 weeks. And at that point, they still wanted to get me to 39 weeks, which seemed impossible to me. Like I just, I didn't want to go any further. Like I wanted her to be delivered. I didn't care if it was early. She was alive and healthy, she was fine. And every time they did an ultrasound, they thought like she was like three to four pounds. Like, so she was still little, and that's why they didn't want to deliver her. And overnight, so it was like 34 in one day, overnight, I started feeling contractions and I slipped on the contraction monitor because I knew how to hook up every machine in that room <laughs> by that point. <laughs> And uh, the nurses loved it. Like, oh yeah, she's just hooking herself up because on their board, they can see like everyone who's on a monitor and it would just be like, my name would just pop up even though they knew no one was in my room. <laughs> but I was like, okay, well, these are these are pretty big again and they're coming close together again. So I'm just going to monitor it so that it's on paperwork and I can say to them, it was a pretty rough night again. Um, but they kept telling me like, oh yeah, it's normal to contract this much throughout the whole end of pregnancy. And I thought, that's absurd. Like, this is a lot for women's bodies to go through. And so it was again, like, it's always when I least expect it to happen. I put the contraction monitor on. And like two uh, hours later, they came in and they were like, "Ooh, this is looking really intense. And they hooked up, a second IV to me because I always had one going because they'll push a lot of fluid in you to stop the contractions. Um, so they had a second one going, <laughs> and at that point they said, "Okay, no more eating." And I thought, "Oh, oh my gosh, gosh uh, that's a new one." And I know why you're telling me that right. because if you need a C-section, you're going to cut me off. So I was like a little bit excited, like, "Okay, well, this is different than it has been in the last three weeks." And then I call, I texted my husband at like nine a.m. and I was like, "Uh, I, we might be having a baby today." Like, I can't really feel the doctors because nothing's really changed. I'm still contracting, but I have been contracting this whole time. Um, and both of us kind of like didn't believe it, but I was like, mm, "Maybe you should like find someone to watch the boys because I." Feel like this is happening but I'm not sure (laughs) and so he dropped them off at uh, their preschool teachers house who lives like a block away from the hospital Um, and again it's like one of those really beautiful sign things it was her mother's birthday and her mom had passed away years ago so she was already having a really hard morning and then she got the call from my husband saying like can you watch the boys because I think Alyssa's having a baby and she was like, oh, I'm so excited that it's on my mom's birthday. Like, just there's so many little ways to connect grief, things like that. Um, so she was super excited. And my husband got to the hospital. And and we both were just like, I guess, I guess we're having a baby. Like, <laughs> it was very calm, especially in contrast to Anna's delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, and... They wheeled me down the hall to the OR and my doctor came in and he was not in a suit and tie this time and he was super calm. And my other births had been just very like clinical, um, like white sterile room. The doctor didn't really talk to me much. I didn't have a super close relationship with them. They were just my OB, um, but this time when I went in, they let me take the antepartum nurse that had been really close to me during those weeks. And she's not normally allowed in the OR, <laughs> but they let her come in with me because, wow. um, I don't know if you had the same experience, but they don't let the husband in normally when they're doing the, the spinal, spinal block. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, And so she got to be the person that, like, I held on to for that. She calmed me down during, like, all the pre-surgery stuff while we were waiting for Brandon to be allowed in.
0: That's amazing.
1: I know. Like, there was just a lot of really compassionate choices that the hospital didn't have to make. And they allowed exceptions because of our story. Um, Which is, I don't feel like you hear that a lot. Like, there's so many Rules involved in surgery, especially. So then, to have that be, um it was such a big deal to me to have her there. And Quinn's birth was; it was still traumatic because it was coming after loss. Like it didn't, I didn't have that feeling that everything was going to be all the or be okay all the way until the moment that she came out. Like. There was still so much time for something to go wrong, I felt like. Um, So then my doctor came in, and he's just like a super big loud voice. And he was like, we're having a baby. Like, he's like holding all the emotion for me and my husband, who are just like panic still and silent. (laughs) Um, And he played music, which I had never been allowed in an OR and it made such a big difference like it just brought such an air to the room that took away any of the memory um so this was sorry i'm so bad at backtracking this was the exact same OR that I delivered Anna in almost a year later so i had so much anxiety going into that room because i thought Everything is going to remind me of her. And he did everything possible to make sure that it was nothing like that day. So there was like fun, like party music. <laughs> and he's an older gentleman, so I was like, This is amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so she came out during Katy Perry's uh Baby You're a Firework," <laughs> which was his choice, and I was like, that's it's an amazing song choice yeah. for a delivery <laughs> um and she came out they thought she was gonna be like three to four pounds and she came out five ten wow and So they were like like he lifted her out and he was like she is big like <laughs> surprised everyone in the room and that made me feel so good because I thought okay well she's gonna do fine in the NICU yeah um and they they brought her over to me right away um which I hadn't experienced in a c-section before usually they clean them up and weigh them and all that but they brought her immediately to me um and that's it was a hard moment for me and I I regret it because I wish we had like the pictures that I have with the boys of like the first time I met her but when she came out like they didn't clean her off at all and so she resembled Anna so deeply and they have such striking similar features that all I could see in that moment was Anna and I I burst into tears because I could my mind couldn't separate them um and I just thought this is how it should have been and it isn't and now I'm like ruining this moment with my new daughter it was such a rush of emotions in that split second like second um and then they took her and they weighed her and they did all that and then they brought her back a second time I think because they knew like that wasn't what that moment was supposed to be and let's give her a second try at it and it was a lot better but it was just there's no way to like describe it like it's just everything at once everything at once um and she was alive. Like her scream was just like the best thing I'd ever heard in my life. And it was constant. She was such a loud screamer. And it was just like a, like a closing of this chapter of we've done it. Um, we've come so far from almost a year ago, like, um, Anna died on May 20th and Quinn was born on July 8th. So it was just over a year. Um, and it it felt like, like I've lived like 25 lifetimes in that year. Um, and we, we had done and we were there. Um, and then she went off to the NICU <laughs> and we spent a month in the NICU and to a lot of people I think that seems really unfair. Um, I got a lot of comments that people were sad because I had waited so long for Quinn to join us and now she was in the NICU and she um she was healthy in there, but she had um oh, what's it called? Brady's I think they're called. Um her heart rate would slow down. Um, but it would pick up like she never really needed too much intervention, but she couldn't be discharged because she continually had them, so we spent um exactly a month in the NICU. We got discharged on August eighth um her one month birthday, and for me, I was never upset. It almost seemed like I got this additional newborn phase that doesn't exist for anyone else. Um so I was really grateful for that that she was so little and I got twice the amount of time in that space. Um and the Nikki was very private, so I didn't have like a rush of visitors and I didn't have people wanting to hold her. It was just me and her in that time. And I feel like our bond was so um immediate just because It was only us there. Like my husband was there too. (laughs) Um, But I spent so much time. Like I would just, I would go and spend the entire day there. I knew the whole NICU staff. They're all amazing. I still talk to people from there. Um, And yeah, I just felt like it was reassuring that she was in a place where if anything happened, she was right where she needed to be. I almost felt more worried when we did bring her home because I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know why I feel this way. I've I've brought two other living children into our home and they've been fine. And I never had, I was such a sure of myself mom with them that I was so unsure with Gwen. And that was unexpected, like new territory for me. Um, So I liked that she was on a heart monitor at the hospital mm-hmm. and, there was a nurse that was taking care of her. Everything was being monitored. I mm-hmm. saw her stats all the time. Um, so I don't have like, I really enjoyed her time in the NICU, which is such a <laughs> not norm
0: thing. <laughs> uh, it's so interesting to hear you talk about that because I remember following your Instagram post through that time and, you know, your your images were beautiful and what you were saying was beautiful And But I still had that sense of like, oh, this must be so – this is so traumatic on top of like the trauma you've already been through. But um, it's really, I guess, fascinating to hear. And and I can totally understand how that would feel like a a place of safety. Again, you know, before the month before she came out to be constantly monitored and then the month after to be constantly monitored just gives you that reassurance. um, Yeah. Because Shannon and I were talking about like – um, you know, the pros and cons of using a Doppler during pregnancy or, oh, yeah. <laughs> or then the outlet thing that you can put on their feet once I they're do born. Have the <laughs> Yes. Um. So yeah, that's just like the ultimate to be in the hospital setting and have all of these incredible people helping you to support your baby and you. Um. So, and I, and they are really like the, the nurses that are in the NICU
1: are there because they truly care about your baby. Like, They sometimes I would see one for like one day, and then I wouldn't see them again for like two or three weeks. And they they hi like oh my gosh I've been checking on your baby every day every time I'm on shift, but I'm not with your baby. I come and I just like look at her and I touch her, and it's it's such a a nice relationship to forge in those days where you feel overwhelmed with everything, and there is just this huge staff of people that want to help you yeah I I think the NICU is really scary if you've never been there or you've had a terrible experience which um I know lots of families that didn't leave the NICU with their babies or they left the NICU but with um not the way that you would envision to leave with a baby like it's just the NICU is not Just a beautiful place. I just felt like it was the place where we needed to be in that moment. And I was very grateful for it.
0: Well, and I'm grateful that you're sharing that perspective just to um, maybe help that be less scary for other parents who that might be in their future. Um, And then just to know that they're in such good hands no matter what happens. Um, And I also appreciate you sharing that moment of first having Quinn put in your arms and and not having it necessarily be like a redemptive moment, like you yeah. dreamed of because um, that's actually something that's been a common thread through a lot of the, the people that I've talked to and interviewed um, is just that it's, it's a, it's, it's complex because of what we've been through. And I'm, you know, not projecting, but I'm kind of preparing myself that that could be, you know, similar for me, especially having another boy, who Mm -hmm. might look very much like Ellis and so it's so good for me to hear you say that because I feel like if I do have a similar experience it won't make me feel hopefully you know ashamed or upset with myself and that's I think that's part of that
1: moment for me I was so I was expecting it to be this amazing like oh like moment of you've made it high five like everything is perfect. Now we can put that behind us. And now we have this new story and it wasn't at all. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just like upset with myself. Like I hate looking back and not having that photo. And I asked my husband, like, why didn't you take a nice photo of us? And he was like, well, <laughs> you were crying yeah. <laughs> and you were like upset that she was near you. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, of course that wasn't of course he wouldn't be like, okay, now smile. Right. Beautiful picture. Yeah. Um, but it was real. Like that's what really happened. And I think that a lot of the times, um, we like to glorify stuff or like TV shows will always put that happy spin on it because that's, it's, it's uncomfortable when we tell the truth about like, oh no, there was no moment like that. Mm -hmm. Like I still feel like I'm still waiting for something to happen with Quinn and she's 10 months old now, but that feeling is just always right there. Like it's right at the, like under my skin that something could happen and it's so easily like life is just so fragile and I wish we could accept how fragile it is instead of putting up blinders because it's easier to get through life if you just pretend that that stuff doesn't
0: happen. Right. Yeah. And that's about just that kind of day by day mantra again of being present. And cause we don't know what tomorrow holds, but just appreciating what we have today. Um, I had another thought that came through and then I lost it. That was, <laughs> and now I remember what I was going to say, um, which was just like, how, um, I've, I've been reading this book called the body keeps the score. I don't know if you've heard heard of that. that. Yeah. I haven't
1: read it, but I have heard of it.
0: Yeah. And it's just, um, I I mean, I haven't finished the whole thing, but my understanding is our bodies hold on to trauma that we might not even be conscious of. And Mm so for you to be back in that same room, holding a baby girl, it just absolutely makes sense that, that, you know, your body would be releasing that that trauma Um, that's a
1: good word for it like releasing it and I I had I knew so far in advance that I would be delivering in the exact same place that I I put such a huge fear of oh my gosh I'm gonna have to walk into that room again and I don't want to do that like it is a very massive like black hole at the end that you're like just being pushed towards and and you don't have a choice in any of it because of course I wanted Quinn and like that's a, you have to go through that in order to get her. Um, there's so much with pregnancy after loss that really forces you into these situations that I think with other traumas, you aren't, um, you aren't like forced to refeel those feelings. Like I, I feel like pregnancy after loss is such a very unique thing to experience, um, and and I'm happy I don't have to do it again because yeah. uh, it was a lot. Yeah. Like, and I I know so many women will have to do it again, and I don't I don't think it gets any better. Like I think a lot of people think, oh well, the first pregnancy after loss but it, it's that every time like right it, i think once you experience how fragile life is everything seems like like just how you said like today you can be in peace because tomorrow you have no idea what's coming right um i feel that like really to my core
0: yeah it my experience so far has been that being forced to to face a lot of those moments, like you said, of, um, re re reliving the trauma, um, has made me feel empowered at least afterward, not, Mm -hmm. you know, necessarily leading up to it or, you know, when I'm in the moment, but afterwards I'm like, well, I just, I just did that really hard thing. Um, for me, the first one was going to an ultrasound without anyone, um, oh, yeah, because, because of, of, all
1: of your appointments right now, right. Oh. Because of the
0: pandemic. And that was something that I had told myself and my close family that I would never do in pregnancy after loss because I was alone with Ellis when they told me there was no heartbeat. And so I, mm-hmm. that was just like a thing in my mind, like, well, I don't have to ever be alone again. And then mm-hmm. the pandemic happens when I'm pregnant. And so oh. now suddenly I'm forced to go to potentially all the rest of my appointments, hopefully not um, by myself. And so there's still that fear every time, but it's definitely getting a little easier. I get more confidence every time. And um, I know that doesn't make me immune from something happening, but it certainly is making me feel like a badass. Um. (laughs) Absolutely. And you are.
1: I I do feel like like once you go through that stuff, it's like, oh well like I know a lot of people are struggling with the quarantine and I I'm like, oh my mindset is so different. It's like this is nothing. Yeah like, oh, This is great. I think I'm like <laughs> like um I'm like okay, well I spent like like four weeks in my antipartum bed and then I spent four weeks in NICU, like quarantine. So I've spent like two months quarantined into such a small area that this is great. Like, yeah. I'm like, Oh, I get to be at home with my kids. It's like, I feel like I'm too happy right now. Yeah. And people are like, is she having a mental breakdown? <laughs> like, why is she okay? But it's because our level of like the worst is so high that everything underneath that feels so doable. Like things that I used to find, like I remember telling someone, oh, I love doing the dishes now because I'm so grateful that I can just do the dishes. <laughs> it's everything becomes, every task becomes so much easier and sweeter because you know how much worse it has been. And you've had to work really hard to get it to this sweet spot. Like it didn't just happen there's a lot of work in between
0: mm-hmm. well and i think it's so perfect that this episode is coming out today <laughs> on both of our baby's birthdays and just to kind of i love that we're ending our conversation this way of acknowledging you know how far we've come and how hard we've had to work to get to this moment um and you know like we talked about earlier there will probably be more hard moments to come but now our our threshold is definitely higher than most people's. And so I think, you know, I I know that we'll be able to face whatever life brings in the future and, and then just appreciate the moments of of beauty and joy in between. Um, and so I guess if, if there's anything else you would like to, um, tell listeners, maybe, um, if someone is just pregnant after a loss, like, um, was there a certain mantra or, or something that helped you get through kind of the daily grind of that? Um, I definitely like repeated a lot to
1: myself that it was a different pregnancy, a different baby, a different outcome, which I'm sure has been like a common theme that you've heard. Um, I heard it from lots of other people and I needed that reminder that even though, I. Anna's whole circumstances had happened, and yes, there was a chance it could happen again. There was also, like, I had already brought two living children home. I, I was frustrated that I couldn't just like slip into the mindset I had with them of like, oh, of course my baby's gonna be fine. I had to just constantly remind myself like, this is different. I don't know what's gonna happen, but it's gonna be different. Like, and it will not be the exact same as that. Um, And it was just that little bit of hope to hold on to. Um, Another favorite quote I constantly told myself um, was, um, I think it goes, hope is the only thing stronger than fear because I found that I was so fearful of Quinn's birth and her story but more the than the fear that I felt, I felt more hope. Like mm. I, I had that always above the fear was just to keep going through the fear because there was still hope that it would be different.
0: Mm. I love that. I'm going to carry that one with me.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I had like a, in my antepartum room, there was this huge bulletin board and my kids would like leave. Pictures that they would draw when they came to visit me, and and then I would fill it up with quotes all over it, and that one was right in the middle. And my OB always would be like, "Oh, I love that one. I'm like, gonna have to share that with all the other women that I know that are." Like, every pregnancy is so fearful. It's right. crazy that we all just jump in and do it, even if you don't have loss in your story. Right? It's still like it's just such a it's a crazy thing that we just do this thing then we hope our bodies just naturally obey what we think that they should be doing and and we bring these life forms into the world it's crazy like I just I will never be able to get over the fact that I have these three living children in my life like as much as Anna's I wish that her story didn't end this way I feel like, like her death has somehow enriched my life in a way that, okay, everything my children do, I'm like, wow, like your lips move and like your hand can move. Everything is incredible. Like I just cannot believe that my body created them.
0: I love that thank you so much Alyssa (laughs) sorry you're gonna have to edit down I feel like
1: we've been talking for hours I know but also like
0: two minutes (laughs) I know I think we just needed like we needed to talk anyway so we could have we could keep talking for like hours and hours more yeah Um, definitely (laughs) but yeah I, I just think this is such a beautiful way to honor Anna today and I'll pretend like it's the um their birthday already so um I can't believe they're two I know
1: Um, I know that seemed like an impossible thing yeah and in my mind I still I mostly still picture her as that tiny baby I held in my hands um and then it'll hit me like oh she's two so she'd be like walking and she would be talking and all these things and that really puts like a time stamp on there yeah. passing that I never imagined I would get to. Like this just two years seemed impossibly far in the future.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think if I was to like wrap this all up, at the beginning I talked about like a before and an after. And I feel like <laughs> I'm hoping this is my last after. And I'm really happy with the spot I'm in. Like I'm really, her first birthday seemed horrible to approach. And this birthday seems like I'm really excited to celebrate her. And my my boys are really excited for her birthday. Um, it just seems like such a natural thing in our family now that like, oh, well, Anna's birthday's coming up and everyone is excited and we're gonna celebrate her in a special way it just seems really natural. Like I didn't want the first one to come. And now I feel like now that that's over, we can move forward with all the birthdays to come. Like we will just celebrate each one as they come. They'll all be different just like any other kid that I have. Sometimes they're big birthdays. Sometimes we barely celebrate them, but I'm really excited for this birthday. And I I didn't think right after loss, I would ever feel happy for that day ever in my life. Yeah.
0: I feel totally the same way. Um, so it's just, it's so special that we can share that together and know. and hopefully be a light to someone else who can't imagine that possibility for their mm-hmm. future. Um, so yeah, thank you so much, Alyssa.
1: This was great. I well, know. Thanks for doing this on their birthday. I think that was such a really special idea that I would have never even thought about but it makes so much sense because they share it and I think that's so special like it just you're one of those moms and I get to connect with one of you and one of you is enough for me to be like okay well like we have this little thing yeah
0: I hope this episode was meaningful for you You can find links to Alyssa's Instagram, blog, blood drive, and crocheted baby loss hats in the show notes on my website. To connect with me, you can visit taylorashleybates.com and also find me on Instagram. And if you did find this episode meaningful, please remember to subscribe and review this podcast, which will help others to find it. It also helps if you share this podcast with anyone you know who is walking through life after pregnancy loss whether they are trying to conceive, currently pregnant, or parenting after loss. Until next time, I'm Taylor Bates, sending you peace and hope for your journey.